academia is in crisis. But not for any of the reasons you might think. Some of you will know that before I wound up making YouTube videos, I completed a PhD. And like many a PhD student, I chose to supplement my income during that time by teaching undergrads. I had the opportunity to work with some amazing colleagues and students, and I really loved being in seminar rooms, facilitating discussions and supporting students as they learned to articulate their thoughts about the world around them. But it wasn't always easy. The workload was substantial. Expectations from both the institutions and students were high. The hours were often awkwardly fragmented throughout the week. And for a job which requires you to be, at minimum, working towards a doctorate, the pay was not great. Unfortunately, this experience is in no way unique. In fact, over the past decade, such working conditions have become the reality not only of fresh-faced PhD students, but of academics many years into their careers. A process of casualization, or what our American friends call adjunctification, has transformed academia from a model of middle-class stability into a sector marked by some pretty predatory employment practices. In today's episode of Induction, I speak with another tutor-turned-creator, Zoe B, to discuss how academia got itself into this mess and how grad students, lecturers, and professors are fighting back. Zoe, thank you so much for being willing to chat with me today. Of course, How thank you for you? having me. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, uh, well. I'm sort of towards the end of working on a new video, ah. and so I'm in that thing where suddenly the days feel really short, uh -huh. uh, and I'm like, I thought I was gonna conquer the world today, and actually, I've like written like two paragraphs. Um, but like, that's good. I, the, yeah. I I find there's like a nice amount of busy to be sometimes. Yes. Um, where I feel like productive, but not so overwhelmed that I'm like um, being crushed by yeah. a big rock. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, so I asked you, I asked you to um, come and uh, have, have a chat with me because mm -hmm. um, universities are sort of in revolt a little bit. Um, uh, and sort of not, not, not the sort of students as we quite, quite often expect. There's, you know, most of the time when you walk around a college campus, university campus, there's like, a little trestle table with someone revolting about something yeah um but at the moment it's like the staff uh in the uk um we are for anyone listening we are recording this slightly ahead of time so hopefully this might have all been resolved by the time this goes out but um uh, in the uk at the moment uh the university and colleges union are at uh, the ucu are currently part way through about 18 days i think it is um of strike action uh we've seen similar strike action um in the us uh at the University of California, I think just before Christmas, mm -hmm. just before the new year, um, had a, a, a big wave of strike action there. Um, and the thing that links all these things together is uh, what in the UK we often call casualization. I think in the US you often refer to as adjunctification, yes. which is a, a brilliant kind of uh, word that seems to sort of want you to stop yes. about three times during it. Uh, uh, but um, and yeah, and you made a fantastic video, which kind of really summarized things up really well um, from a US perspective. And knowing that, like, I feel like I've got lots of people who are either students or like maybe university adjacent in some mm -hmm. way in my audience. I'm sure you have uh, the same. I wanted to kind of take the opportunity, knowing that anyone who's in the UK, but maybe also in the US might be being affected by some of these strikes um, to kind of talk it through and sort of chat about, you know, what the 
what the kind of issues are that that, um, that lecturers, professors, um, instructors, whatever particular word someone is uh, having as their job title, um, you know, the, the reasons why people are on strike. Um, but do you want to start by talking about, because I'm sure all of your videos like come from a place of like genuine interest uh, in, in whatever the topic at hand and sort of inquisitiveness is, but but making making your video, which everyone watching or listening should go and check out um this one was a little bit different because you've sort of got a bit more of a personal hook connection yes to this one. yeah so i am an ex-english teacher ex-college english teacher turned youtuber and i taught college english for almost five years and during those five years i spent a couple of years at a university a catholic university in the midwest as an instructor and then I spent a couple of years at a community college as an adjunct professor and that sort of teaching experience and the difference between those two positions that I had really made me realize just how badly adjuncts are treated and so this is a video that I have wanted to make for a long time and I don't know why I ended up making it then. That's not really important. But so this is a video that I wanted to make for a long time. And it was really nice to see that it resonated with a lot of people. Um, There were a lot of comments that I got on it that were from other university professors and adjunct professors and instructors and, you know, all of the words that are used to describe that position. And it was just really nice to see people, I don't know, feel like they were, they had been seen. Uh, by that video because yeah. I mean it, I, it's something that doesn't get talked really about a lot sorry go on I found it interesting watching from like the other side of the Atlantic um how like how similar like have, having done like I think I maybe did th- three years maybe <laughs> um uh sort of as as a PhD student who was also um like teaching seminars and stuff <laughs> um like how and like I think maybe partly because universities are so like institutionalized um as like particular places you're like oh some some aspects of this must be unique to this particular institution that i'm trying to like work out how works yeah and then it was just really interesting to watch and be like oh even across the seas over over where zoe is um the the experience feels very much the same and how that fits into kind of like a trajectory that it feels like universities are on um yeah like that was and so i'm like i'm not surprised that pe- that you did so did you get lots of other um yeah like you're saying instruct did you also get students being like there were some something away from it um there were some who it seemed to explain a lot of things for them um mm. i got several comments that were like oh like now i understand why you know, my teachers seem so busy or so stressed or so, you know, overworked. Um, There were several students who were like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this was happening. And like, Mm -hmm. so it really was nice, um, like as a creator to see people like realize that this issue exists and sort of have that ability to have changed their minds on things because that was sort of the point of the video was to show people that like this kind of cultural image that we have of professors that are these you know like very relatively wealthy um you know upper middle class Mm. intellectuals like 
sure that does exist sometimes um but most faculty members at universities and colleges are not that um they are young and not well off uh, are paid you know poverty wages and so I, I really just wanted to like open people's eyes to this issue mm. um and sort of set the record straight maybe, on maybe, what reality is <laughs> maybe, maybe that's things like like hone in into because i think like you're saying like the university professor university lecturer university like yeah. employee of whatever description is like almost like a model of like middle class stability of like yeah. the you know wonderful like patterned kind of jacket um in a fairly nice house with like books lining the walls yeah. um and we always have this like idea of um uh, in, i think in america you have like tenure where um you're sort of you're, you're probably there for a very long time in in the uk we don't have quite the same system but hmm. you know after a while it's sort of expected that people that are there for a while um maybe can you can you explain like what we um what exactly we're talking about when we're talking about um what i think in, in, uh, you describe as as, as contingent faculty mm -hmm. and how that differs from this um kind of mirage that we have of what um a university uh lecturer instructor whatever looks like so tenure is which I didn't realize that that was purely an American thing. Um, that's fascinating to me. But tenure here in the U.S. Because I remember, I remember <laughs> Ross getting tenure in Friends uh, being like, mm -hmm. uh, what's like, like when I was growing up. Which, to be fair, I, I wasn't surrounded by university <laughs> presses anyway. Um, but but that being like one of those where you're like, what mm -hmm. does that mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's where, that's why I know what it means is because <laughs> Ross gets tenure at some point during Friends. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it, it is a big deal um, because tenure is this, it's basically just like a label that you get um, as a faculty member that essentially means that you are permanent faculty. And it means that you have a few more freedoms than everyone else who doesn't have tenure. So things are a little bit more lenient for you, which can be both a good thing and a bad thing in that, you know, you have more academic freedom, but as is often the case, um, that academic freedom can also be used as sort of like a shield. So you can like get away with doing some not great things and the university won't fire you because you have tenure. Um, but in order to apply for tenure, you have to do a lot of things. You have to have like uh, several years of teaching experience and you have to have done a lot of like research and done a lot of publications and you have to be a like positive member of your university community um and that so you like apply you yes. apply for it you go like i've been here for a while i've done mm -hmm. all this stuff yeah. here's my pitch for why yes i should never you should never get rid of me <laughs> yeah but in order to even apply for it you have to be in a what is called a tenure track position and so these tenure track mm -hmm. positions are like super valuable. Everybody who is in academia, not everybody, but most people who are in academia, that is like their goal is to get on the tenure track so that eventually they can apply for tenure and, you know, they'll have it made. So contingent faculty are the ones who are not in tenure track positions. And usually they are also short-term or part-time faculty and 
so while tenure track positions um have like longer contracts they have like multi-year contracts that you sign like i will be you know i'm going to be an assistant professor here for five years and you sign that contract and you know you have a solid employment for five years Uh, but contingent faculty usually their contracts are semester by semester or yearly and so what that means uh for anybody else who is you know, a gig worker or works part-time, you know that that means that there is like very little security and, you know, you don't know if you will have a job six months from now or a year from now. And so that's bad for a lot of reasons. A semester is like half a year. I've I've always been in places that have terms. Uh, I think some, I think places like there are places in the UK that do do semesters, mm -hmm. but that's like presumably to like somewhere halfway through the winter. Yeah then back to the summer yeah so semesters are basically like august to december and then january through may usually like beginning of may and then there's sometimes a summer semester but that's like its own thing (laughs) and that's like that's quite a contrast from so you so you basically you you're you're either on you you either have your tenure already where you're Mm -hmm. sort of sort of there forever part of the yeah. furniture you've been tenure track you've still got like five years at a time feels <laughs> like um that feels pretty that, i mean that's more comfortable i think than anything i've i don't think i've ever had a job that i've been like i can comfortably know that i am here in five years yeah. um and then like it suddenly goes to this other extreme where it's like you have like what three four five months at a push mm-hmm that's quite like it's quite a contrast like like i don't know it just feels weird that there's no like sort of middle bit in there yeah i mean there are some contingent positions like it's not unheard of to have like two-year contracts um Mm -hmm. but those are relatively uncommon so yeah it really is the the extremes Mm. here (laughs) and that does and that does sort of track to the uk there's quite a lot of um sort of like year what like one year mm-hmm. contracts that will go around um you know where, where are universities like we're going to try out doing this course um uh, but we're not entirely sure whether it's going to take off so we'll try someone out for you know we'll, we'll try having some extra capacity mm-hmm. just for one year yeah um it, like it was only a very brief period where i was like well i'm gonna look at academic jobs and see so i've not like spent i didn't spend like a long long time in the academic job market but like mm-hmm. um like these and like those were much much more common than like an ongoing um job i mean often the clever thing being that if a university only has someone for one year they can sort of do it that they don't have to pay them for the summer Mm -hmm. and then you've got like they've managed to sort of save a few months or weeks um uh pay there and but i suppose like what what does like the um what does being contingent faculty being on like a short-term contract um teaching a module like what does that um like look like what what is the like day-to-day like you know <laughs> walking around campus like I, I suppose that's our vision isn't it that mm-hmm. that um it's it's you know the professor wakes up on campus and then um wanders wanders down and rushes through the you know there's all the trees and they're rushing through and they drop their papers once they pick them up and then they go to their lecture yeah. um, and then they spend the afternoon drinking coffee um what is the like lived reality of the of the contingent faculty member it uh sucks <laughs> is is the reality so <laughs> it sucks, yeah um so usually at least in my experience and from what i've read from lots and lots of other adjuncts 
is a couple days before the semester starts, you are given the courses that you are going to teach. They say, okay, you're going to have, you know, two semesters of English 101 and, you know, one section of English 102. And then you are given the syllabus most of the time. Uh, and basically that means that you are given exactly what you have to teach, sometimes even down to the individual day. Like you will cover this thing on this day in this way using this textbook and you're not allowed to change anything. Uh, and so that's you're given really, just, it's, it's awful. And that's so difficult. Yes. Like, cause people teach in such different ways. Mm -hmm. Like, and students learn in know, lots like, of different people... ways, but yeah. To like, just have this. Yes. It's yeah. So actually on both sides, you're mm -hmm. trying to like meet this very fixed kind of, um, yes. uh, like I've, like I've been quite, I think I've been quite lucky when I've t been teaching that I've like, I've probably had what the reading is. Well, like I've definitely had what the session is about. Mm -hmm. I've maybe had what the reading is that maybe we're basing something on. Like, um, so like, you know, within a reasonable sort of limit, but mm -hmm. within that then have been able to go like, oh, I've got an idea of what I'm going to do for this bit, what activities I'm going to do. But it's really like none of that. It's like, here's what you're doing. Yeah, that's, it, it's not a universal thing. Obviously, none of this is universal. That should be a big asterisk next to everything I say, yeah, yeah, but yeah. But yeah, that was my experience at the community college was this very strict, rigid, like you will teach this in this way. And if you change anything, you will be punished. Uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, most of the time you get that the, the class syllabus or your class, um, your like course load just a couple days before the semester starts. And so it's not like you could even do any like big planning yeah. or whatever. So it's, you know, you're just thrown into this immediately. And then on a day-to-day -day basis is that, is that part of it is that like the hope is that like they don't have to pay you for as much planning if you like get it two days like if it's all if it's all like there that you like won't have to plan it because you've sort of got it well i don't because we don't get paid by the hour uh we are really just paid in like big lump sums um well, and I so know, i don't know that they yeah, care I mean, you mentioned this in your you yeah. mentioned you mentioned this in your video actually, the sort of what, what to me it seems like a like a like you're in an employed position but almost like it's like like it's got the payment terms of like a freelance contract almost oh it's definitely can, can you can you like talk a bit about that because that was that was one of the bits where i was like oh no that is different in the u.s compared to um oh, there's some there's maybe some similarities but but mm -hmm. but um but definitely that thing of like here's a it's just like a chunk of money isn't it yeah so we are paid by the credit hour usually and credit hours are there's just so it's all so complicated and it's they obfuscate everything so much so credit hours essentially are equivalent to contact hours and that means how many hours a week the class meets most classes are mm -hmm. three credit hours so you meet for three hours a week broken up in a variety of ways and okay. Um, so most positions, most contingent positions, they tell you how much per credit hour you make. And so for me at the community college, I made about $500 per credit hour, which means that for each course that I taught across an entire semester, I got $1,500, which is not very much money. <laughs> oh, so yeah. So, so per credit hour per week. Yes. Yeah, so not, not like. 
Because if if you listen to that quickly, you'd be like, oh, five hundred dollars an hour. That's but but so so you get so per credit hour per week. Yes. Wow. So what was the, what was the, like the headline figure again? Like per per semester. Per semester for one class, I made one thousand mm. five hundred dollars, and that's right, it. And that's like a. That's nothing. It's not. It's week. Oh yeah, f- fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. Uh, and so, and, and usually they would pay us, uh, I want to say that it was like monthly payments though. I mean, this like is a, you know, it's different from school to school. So really mm-hmm. I was paid, mm-hmm. you know, three chunks of $500, which is just, is no money. <laughs> and even if you're teaching multiple courses, like it's still, it doesn't really add up, especially when um you're teaching different courses and so it's you know all of your planning and everything is exponential um so yeah it, and that, and that oh, sorry go on I, th- I mean so i think what 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 you talk about in your in your video is that mm-hmm. that like 500 dollars per credit hour um is that's based like how much you're paid is based on the contact time that you get mm-hmm. yep. but i'm guessing that the amount of time it takes to plan the amount of um emails you get from students asking questions um the amount of like marking and stuff like that's presumably like not always exactly fixed so that like nope. like a two two classes that had three hours a week could have very different like um amounts of assessment and amounts of marking and amount yes. of planning and amount of contact like emailing and stuff mm-hmm. admin i guess which makes it seem like just a really weird way to um because c- i guess that sort of means that you get to decide how much planning that you do but if you don't do enough you're going to do a really bad job and you don't Mm -hmm. have the um you know you don't have the contract for next semester yet so so you sort of if you try and do the amount of work that would mean that per hour it would sort of make sense Mm -hmm. then you potentially don't get asked back yeah yeah and that's and a, a lot of contingent faculty um the way that the school decides whether to renew your contract, a lot of it comes down Mm. to student evaluations and student evaluations are the, you know, it's the thing at the end of the semester where they're like, how much did you like this professor? You know, how much did you like the class? What would you change? Et cetera, et cetera. And Mm. as an instructor, the best way to get positive student evaluations is to just give the students whatever they want, um, cater to the students, and I don't mean that in a like, you know, differential, pedagogical, whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, you know, you you grade very leniently and you, you know, give them plenty of time off and you don't assign lots and lots of homework. And a lot of that comes down to not being as like rigorous or, you know, not pushing students mm. as hard as you maybe should in order to get the best um, like learning outcomes from them and so it all it's like it's, it, it just if it's it, anything, if it's sorry, anything i was gonna say if there's anything like the um sort of feedback stuff that um that that, that sort of started to dominate in the uk it's mm-hmm. not the kind of like sort of sort of constructive bit where you where you you know maybe you do sit down with your students in the last class of the term and go or semester and go Oh, what you know? What what did you find really useful? Mm-hmm. What what was still a bit of a challenge? What could I have explained better? What could I have, um, you know, w- was there anything about my style of teaching that was? It's very much like 
um, marks out of 10 on various mm-hmm. different things, yep. kind of would, how many stars out of five almost? Is it, is, it, yes. is it that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. It's it's very, you know, like objective, data-driven mm. evaluations. Uh, and those, mm. you know, as a lot of things, uh, it is very different depending on you know like i as a as a young woman instructor get mm. very different comments from my male colleagues and you know like people of color and you know queer instructors like there are a lot of things that that you know students have implicit biases just as a lot of people do and mm. it doesn't there doesn't really seem to be any way of like mitigating that uh from an yeah. like evaluation point of view um but so it's all it's all broken yeah, i've definitely <laughs> seen a lot of like evaluations of the valuations that have like brought that up and have gone mm-hmm. yeah actually all these implicit biases come out in the um in in this attempt to make it a kind of standardized score yes. um uh so yeah, it's, it is really, it's difficult sometimes that conversation where mm-hmm. it does sound like you're sort of suggesting like students should have no input into, you know, we, we need to give them really hard tests, but it does make it really hard because sometimes your job as a as someone who is teaching is to sort of challenge a bit and yeah. to, um, uh, yeah, sometimes it's, th- it is those, those modules or classes that are a bit harder that, you know, really push students to um uh to 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 new heights hopefully yeah and so like all of it comes together like the pay and how you know frustrating the evaluation process is like all of it comes together to sort of incentivize professors to put in less work and be you know much more lenient and just do a lot of stuff that isn't good uh and that's really what it comes down to is you know the these adjunct instructors are not always able to give students the kind of education that they deserve and it's not all Mm. their fault um sort of going back to that idea of like what does the day-to-day look like um Mm. for adjuncts a lot of adjuncts have multiple jobs because they don't pay very well and because some schools actually have limits for how many courses adjuncts are allowed to take um and usually it's two (laughs) that that seems to be sort of across the board the like you're only allowed to teach two classes at this school and so you have to find jobs elsewhere and so sometimes um like i've read these horror stories of adjuncts who had to you know, they have like 18 hour days because they're teaching, you know, two classes at this university and then they drive across town to this other university and then they drive to the next town over to teach at this other school. And they have like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of students each semester and they have all of these papers to grade and it, they're just, you know, incredibly busy, incredibly stressed. And that, you know, is really bad for them and their health and especially like their mental health, but it's also bad for students because when you're that stressed out you're not going to do a very good job teaching and yeah when you have that many students and especially when your contracts are so short it's very difficult to like form relationships with students and get to know them Mm. and like especially when you don't know if you're going to be there the next semester 
it's like you mm. you don't know if you can like actually build a community at the school because like you don't know if you're gonna be there <laughs> so like and it's it just I'm all compounds it's it's just really bad <laughs> yeah yeah and, and quite quite a lot of i found like teaching at, at university level like you you know you get a mix people from mix of backgrounds you get pe people of a mix of ages um the majority a lot of the time though is students that are 18 19 mm -hmm. 20 20 like in in that sort of bit of their lives where you know maybe the main hour and a half of the session that you're teaching is like you know the real um uh you know nitty-gritty of your <laughs> discipline but there's always like there's usually something that is like you know the last five minutes when like three people hang around it might be questions about the assessment but it was all, it's just as likely to be something about someone you know something's happening in their um mm -hmm. in their halls or, or, or in their dorms or um you know they've moved to this they've moved to this new city town not maybe not village but like they moved to this new place and they yep. don't know where to go for something or they need to ask for um student support for something and you're trying to like point them towards the which like i was at the institution i was at for like four or five years mm. and it's so big that i didn't know where and because i hadn't been an undergrad there i didn't know where everything was you know so each time it was trying to find something new mm -hmm. I imagine if you know, and that's that's got to bounce back in 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 the same ways in in some of the uh, sort of examples you're talking about, mm -hmm. where you kind of can't do all that extra stuff, which I do think is like important to providing like a a good sort of university college experience. Yeah. Hey, I hope you're enjoying my chat with Zoe. If you are and you want to check out further episodes of the show, then you might want to know that every instalment of Induction comes out a full two weeks earlier on my streaming service Nebula. If you've seen any of my stuff before, then you've perhaps heard of Nebula. It's a premium streaming service built by a bunch of the internet's finest educational creators. Lindsay Ellis, Page Bomber Guy, Legal Eagle, Princess Weeks, and many, many more, including me. Alongside being ad and algorithm free, Nebula is packed with an ever expanding library of early access and exclusive content from your favourite creators. If you like my work, for example, then you might want to check out Anita Sarkeesian's Nebula original series, That Time When, which invites us to take a fresh look at some of the key cultural events of the 20th century, from the Hollywood blacklist to the satanic panic to Gamergate. And, as I mentioned a moment ago, both the video and audio versions of every single episode of Induction are released on Nebula a full two weeks before they make it to YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else. If you're interested in finding out more about Nebula, then I'd be particularly grateful if you'd head to the site using our personal link, nebula.tv forward slash induction. Using that link will ensure that you get the absolute best deal on Nebula at any given time. At the moment, that's just $2.50 a month. Further, if you do sign up using that link, it will send a chunk of change my way to help pay for more episodes of this show and my main channel videos too. Being part of Nebula has been a real game changer for my work and really does make projects like this possible. So if you want to get access to all that great content from your favourite creators while supporting me to make more good stuff, then head to nebula.tv forward slash induction. Now, back to my chat with Zoe. Yeah, I mean, that, like, the sense of community, I think, is so important 
both for students and for faculty. Like that's, I mean, this is, you know, maybe a separate conversation to have, but I think that that is one of the most important things to aiding people's educations is having a sense of community, having a like social learning environment. And you can't have that with mostly contingent faculty. And as, like, so I, when I was teaching at the community college, um, in community colleges, I know that that's not as much a thing um, in the UK. So community colleges so, are... So my understanding uh -huh. comes solely from the program. Like I know the Ivy League is a thing and I've mm -hmm. watched community yeah. and I get the sense that they're opposite ends of a kind of spectrum. Yes. And then I presume there's like, I've heard the I've heard the phrase like liberal arts college mm -hmm. and you you two described a Catholic college like yes <laughs> can you put these pieces so, together for yeah. me into like <laughs> so at the very top we have the Ivy Leagues <laughs> and those are very old very prestigious schools really it just comes down to age like that's what differentiates Ivy Leagues from other mm -hmm. prestigious schools um but so we have those at the top and then we have well, I guess, do I want to go in terms of like quality or size? Um, well, so next we have like prestigious okay. universities that are not quite as old. And so these would be things like Johns Hopkins, um, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, like schools that do a lot of research and do a lot of like really big stuff, mm -hmm. um, but are not, you know, quite so old. And then we have... Um, I guess the like middle of the road kind of like state schools. So that would be like a lot of your state universities like University of Michigan or West Virginia University that are big, not as selective when it comes to um, mm -hmm. like admission, but you also have large um, private universities. And so like that's where I taught first was at a large private um, Catholic university in the Midwest and that would also be like Notre Dame. Without wanting Sorry. to get too bogged, bogged down yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the intricacies of the system, what does it's it mean intricate. if they're private as opposed to, does it, does it mean, does that mean anything much? Um, it means a couple of things. It means that they don't get as much public funding and that they don't get any public funding mm. um, <laughs> if they're private. Mm. And because of that, they are usually more expensive. Um, okay. Like the school that I taught at, was like $50,000 a year, which is a lot, but not as much as some other schools. Uh, but public schools get more public funding, can be cheaper, and also tend to offer more scholarships. Um, okay. Like I know okay. like WVU um, was, I want to say like 16000 a year for out of state, maybe. Because there's also like state schools, you get like tuition is less if you come from the state that the school is in versus okay. if you don't like, it's, it's a yeah it's a very complicated system that i don't really understand um so then sorry that was a bit of a that was okay. a bit of a digression it's fine <laughs> um it's it is i can imagine from an outside perspective it's like what even is this well, we, um <laughs> i'll let you finish because i think we've got a similar ish kind yeah. of thing thing going on but i'll, I'll let you so, i'll let you finish explaining your side <laughs> Okay, so we have like the state schools and then we have, um, I guess I'm going in terms of like size here. So below those, we have mm -hmm. smaller, more local uh, institutions. 
and those are often the like more rural universities like where I finished my undergrad was at a like smaller university near my hometown um and like it was fine like they're they're not incredibly prestigious they're just a place to get a degree they're very middle of the road um Mm. and then below those we have these liberal arts colleges now liberal arts colleges are very unique in that they are very very small and they focus on liberal arts educations which essentially means that instead of like focusing on individual disciplines and focusing on like research and you know like you are going to this school to get a biology degree and you are just going to get biology and that's your one thing uh these liberal arts schools are more about breadth Mm -hmm. and they are more like i don't know they're often more like experimental and give more like freedom to students from like an educational perspective and that's actually where I began my undergrad uh, degree was at a small private liberal arts school. And it was phenomenal. It was just absolutely amazing and really incredible educational experience. I was pushed really hard because um, they're usually very like selective. But the downside to all of this. Some, some universities in the UK have started doing like mm-hmm. liberal arts degrees now. I think you, it's great. Which, which essentially... <laughs> I, I think it's really it's like a sort of educational buffet yeah where you get to be like oh I want to do a little bit of philosophy mm-hmm. but also some geography and it's yep. like from the perspective of someone who's then gone on and done like postgrad stuff mm-hmm. it makes mu- makes much more sense to mm-hmm. be able to go like because things do cross over so mm-hmm. much more than um we like to think like I th- yeah you know yeah I I really like it as a a model I think I am a huge fan um but the downside is that they're usually incredibly expensive like the school that I went to was fifty thousand dollars a year also (laughs) um and that's why I only spent two years there because even with like I got the best scholarship that they offer Mm. and that still only covered like half of the tuition and so luckily like I had some savings and stuff so I didn't have to take out you know, like $50,000 in student loans, but I still took out lots of student loans. Um, And so it, you know, there are pros and cons, but so then below that we have our community colleges. Now these are relatively large, um, but they are usually not residential. So like they don't have dorms and they do not offer usually four year degrees. So we have like bachelor's degrees and then we have graduate degrees like masters and doctorates and JDs and, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so universities offer four-year degrees and graduate degrees. Colleges just offer four-year degrees. So like liberal arts colleges usually are just bachelor degrees. And then community colleges only offer two-year degrees, which are called associate's degrees. So community colleges are usually very, very cheap, but also have the highest level of contingent faculty and are non-residential. So you don't get a lot of that like community, which is ironic, I guess, (laughs) that you don't get a lot of that community. Um, But because they're so inexpensive, a lot of people choose to um, like take their elective classes there or 
do the first two years of their degree there and then transfer to a four-year school. And so they're they're really useful okay. for a lot of those kinds of things. Um, they also do a lot more like technical kind of stuff. So like they're sort of the opposite end of the spectrum from like liberal arts schools where liberal arts schools are more about like big picture concepts and much more like high mm. level, like thinking about things in broad strokes. Whereas community colleges are like, I want to get a certificate in welding. So I'm going to take, you know, these eight welding classes so that I can have a paper that says, yes, I am a certified welder and that's what I'm going to do. And so they serve very different I kinds of populations. Like, that's it. That's the whole spiel. It's, it's sort of like it's different from the UK, but there, mm -hmm. there has grown to be a sort of similar structure in that we have like, um, like the super duper old universities like Oxford, mm -hmm. Cambridge, um, uh, some of the ones in London. Then there is uh, what's called the Russell Group, which is essentially an attempt to make an Ivy League in the UK, like really brazenly. Um, uh, it's just named after the, like, I think like, the sense I get is that the Ivy League developed a bit more naturally, whereas this, they literally met at a hotel and were like, we're going to be exclusive universities now. Um, and then there is sort of slightly newer um, universities that in 1992, they made it so that more types mm -hmm. of institution could apply to be like an official university. And then we have like colleges, which used to be more of a, Six, when you're sort of 16 17 18 year old mm -hmm. like they used to do that um and they still do like i went to a i went to a um further education college um but now lots of those also um mm. offer degrees as well um and here the the like the the degree is on paper is the same but mm. the like they're all sort of about they all sort of three years um they're all called a ba um or bsc or b whatever um but you know the institution that it comes from does mm -hmm. um is sort of something that people would notice they would notice yeah. if you had it from um whatever your town is called college as opposed to the university of oxford like or yeah. you know or, or somewhere within that um but i think what you were so there's two things that were that were really that were really interesting there that mm -hmm. i think come come back to the conversation is one the difference in fees that are paid across that system of mm -hmm. like your really expensive Ivy Leagues, um, liberal arts colleges, your um, uh, much cheaper community colleges. Um, and then you started to also talk about like your contingent faculty that are rushing around just trying to sort of keep everything held together. Um, you, were you were suggesting, and you talk about this in your, in your, your video as well, that there is much more of a use of contingent faculty in those um uh, I don't want to sort of say cheaper because that makes it sound like, but like in those, well, they are, I guess, yep. they're cheaper um, institutions that are serving much broader populations yes. than there is in the kind of elite um, uh, institutions. Yeah. So the, essentially the more, what's the word I'm looking for? Not exclusive, though I guess it is exclusive. Um, the it's schools... hard to talk about the ways things are perceived without um reinforcing that yes. isn't it like that's what i was trying yeah. to do a second ago um, the the schools that have much lower acceptance rates so the schools that are much more difficult to get into um often tend mm. to be more expensive for lots of reasons and those types of schools are mostly uh 
not contingent. They are mostly tenure track or tenured instructors, especially as you get um, up higher in like freshmen and sophomores. So like first and second year students are probably going to be taught mostly by contingent faculty. But the further you go in your educational journey, the more like actual tenured instructors you will have. And then at these less expensive uh, schools with much higher admission rates, you get lots more contingent faculty. And you might think like, oh, like that's just because these schools have, you know, more students, they need more teachers and that's, Mm. but no, like as a percentage, (laughs) as a percentage of faculty, uh, larger schools, less expensive schools have more contingent faculty. And, um, and so that serves to sort of, I don't know, like perpetuate the, you know, people who can afford to go to these very selective, selective is the word I was looking for. These very selective schools um, are getting usually better educations from instructors who are not like rushing around and, and, you know, super stressed and like paid next to nothing. And, you know, that it's not to say that adjuncts are bad teachers. It's not that they're better teachers. It's conditions. the context you're in. <laughs> yeah. The conditions make good teaching like very difficult to do. Um, and so the teachers at these very selective schools are not facing those conditions, so they can spend more time and energy on the students that they have. So it it really is like these, you know, the students who are already going to, I don't know how to say this in a way that isn't like, I don't know, like conspiratorial, but, you know, the good students who would be successful either way because they, you know, like come from very wealthy families or et cetera, et cetera, they're going to get the better education. Whereas the people who are already struggling or, you know, have to go to a community college for a variety of reasons, they're not going to get Mm. as good of an education. And this quality of education, as well as the like connections that you make in schools, Mm. it's going to (laughs) differ. And so, you know, you, yeah. which is a really big part of it, actually, I was, mm-hmm. I was reading a book um, uh, a little while ago, which is um, sort of about social class in, uh, in Britain mm-hmm. uh, in the 21st century. And it's kind of like, what does sort of class look like today? And there's a whole, I, th- I think I want to say there's a whole chapter, I think, about universities, um, because, because like so much of it for all kinds of different reasons um, mm-hmm. In the UK, and I'm fairly sure a lot of this will apply elsewhere in the world as well. Um, th- there's so many different ways and many different reasons for which university, yeah, if you do go to that elite school, that it does set you up. Like one of the one of the things it was talking about was that how um, most people, or, or a lot of people at least, meet someone who is at least going to be their long term partner for mm-hmm. quite some time whilst they're at university yeah um, it's not to say that everyone meets someone at university that's not to say that uh, all those relationships last forever but like yeah. enough people do that it is like a substantial social phenomenon um which means that if you're a wealthy person that goes to a university with lots of other wealthy people you are likely to meet like you get together with someone who is also a, like and then that you know that and that that helps to continue a kind of 
stratified society right yes. like in a, in a much broader um you know it's not just an it's not just an impact for those two people i hope they are very happy um but it like has consequences for wider society that yeah. we that we continue to send people from very from different backgrounds to educational institutions where they are with people of the same backgrounds if that makes sense yes sorry i'm i'm looking for a quote from this uh book that i that was sort of the backbone of um my video it's called the adjunct underclass here uh i can't find the actual quote and i'm not gonna spend too much time looking at it but he basically says the author says um that you know students at these you know public universities and at these community colleges like they are learning skills to get a job whereas the Mm -hmm. students at these very prestigious schools these very selective schools these ivy leagues when they go to school the side effect is that like yeah they'll probably get the skills to get a job but really what Mm -hmm. they're learning is how to make these important connections how to do the kind of socializing that is required in sort of these upper echelon social circles and the way he puts it is they're not learning how to get a job they're learning how to rule the world which i think is maybe a little dramatic but that is sort of what um it comes down to is like it the school that you go to is not just about the education you get it's also about all of these other things and so it is sort of self you know perpetuating um when it is stratified like that yeah yeah the, the, those like a- extra aspects of going to which I, which i can imagine you like yeah you don't realize unless you have spent time at one of those institutions mm-hmm. you know it, it is that thing where um you know, we, we don't have like um fraternities and sororities in the uk but you know we have like um club like, what, what do you call them societies societies ah. we often mm-hmm. call them where it will be like the football society or it will be the um they have all like all sorts like uh, water polo there'll, there'll be loads of sports ones there'll also be like there'll be a drama society and a but like those in them in themselves will um are like almost as much a part of um like you see this like at oxford and cambridge for example um like the footlights societies which is mm. their kind of theater society in, in in many ways i think and they might also have theater societies but um like the amount of like famous UK comedians, presenters, actors who like that specific like university society has served as like the springboard for is like is bizarre. And that's like almost that like some people are going to that university to be in that society for that hmm. to be a career um, or like the Oxford um uh, oxford union which is like the debating club um and the, the similar one at cambridge um being part of that is like if you look through a list of presidents of the oxford union it is like oh here's a lot of sort of notable <laughs> politicians and um news news people and kind of people mm-hmm. in sort of in the establishment somewhere um and almost that is as much a part of the university experience as the like you say you sort of also do a bit of, a bit of learning while yeah. you're there and that fills your days a bit i guess and it's interesting to hear about the ways in which 
yeah, that, that you do. It, I mean, it's almost it's almost like counter to that the ways in which, despite maybe if you are going to a more slightly more elite institution, the fact that maybe the education is the secondary bit to um, everything else, all the social stuff. Um, even though you'll probably be quite disappointed if you don't get a first, second, whatever. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know how they're marked in in the US, but maybe that's a, a <laughs> another kind of sidebar. Um, but you um, that it, that it's therefore interesting that you've sort of got the instructors that are still more able to do the teaching. If that makes sense, like it's sort of a yeah. weird inverse thing. Yeah. Like, if the education isn't the priority, then why do you have, like, the best teachers? Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, there's, and that's one of the difficult things is when you're having these kind of conversations to, you know, not disparage certain types of schools, because you can get a, a high quality education anywhere. And, mm. you know, that's, especially in the US where you have, like, all of these different, you know, options when it comes to where you want to go to get a degree. Like I, like I said before, you know, I loved my experience at the liberal arts school that I was at. It was a really wonderful environment. It, you know, pushed me in a lot of ways, but I never really had a lot of very deep connections with any of my professors. And maybe it was because, you know, I was, when I left, I was still only in my second year. So I didn't have as much time to like get to know them as much. Um, but it was when I transferred to um, the like state university that I ended up graduating from, it was a much less rigorous school, but I feel like I got maybe not a better education, but I had a better experience there and I was able to have mm. a more close relationship with my professors there. Like I, <laughs> one of my English professors there, um, he ended up like sending me an email just a couple years ago and saying like, Hey, I've been nominated for like state professor of the year. Uh, but I need to have a, um, like a letter of recommendation written for me from a past student. Do you want to write this? And I was like, Oh my gosh, oh. yes. Like you're the best. Like he, he was genuinely like the best professor I've ever had. Um, yeah. and, uh, he ended up getting it, which, I like to think that it was all just my letter that got him this thing. But no, he's like just a really awesome, um, wonderful instructor. And he uh, he also watches my videos. My mom knows him and he uh, she shared my channel with him and he said that he is now my biggest fan. Um, but anyway, that's beside the point. Oh, but nice. yeah, all of that to say, like... He, no matter what school you're at, like you can find mm. these incredible teachers and have really great experiences and have, you know, like build these lifelong relationships no matter what school you're at. Um, and so that's... And I think like a lot of, um, a lot of um, instructors, lecturers, whatever, whatever, calling them like enjoy working at, mm -hmm. um, at those, at those institutions. Um, like, like, in, enjoy actually going. You know, I, I'm working with people who are who are here. Not, not, not that people at sort of 
elite selective institutions <laughs> haven't worked hard or haven't like but but actually going do you know th- this is someone who is doing a Saturday job to be able to 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 pay to be here and who really wants to learn something about this topic um like I think most of like mo- mo- most friends that I can think of that have probably got the most out of their um sort of higher education experiences have be- been people that have maybe not gone straight and straight away and then have you know worked for a bit and then done um some form of kind of uh, dis- distance or like um mm-hmm. so there's a thing in in the UK called the open university which is like um basically just really focuses in on being mm. um it's like a sort of public university like any other but really focuses on being like really good at distance learning mm. um uh, so for anyone listening that d- doesn't know all that that's like where you sort of you know maybe you watch a video instead of going to a lecture you send stuff off and get it marked um and i think like they've got so much more out of it because they've maybe had that bit more maturity and i know that i found like when i was teaching often it was the people that were mature students who mm-hmm. like you were like oh you're you're like really you've made a really specific life choice to be here mm-hmm. like you've not you've not just fallen into this as being like the next thing um and so i think a lot of people do get a lot out of teaching at institutions where that's going to be a bigger proportion of people um in their in in their classes um, cause it's, it can be really rewarding in a really different yes. way. Oh yeah, for sure. Like when I, so when I taught at the Catholic university, because it was private, because it was the kind of school that it was, most of my students were right out of high school, usually like pretty, mm. you know, academically gifted, also very wealthy. Um, like <laughs> there was one student that I had who, uh, it was right before spring break and when I walked into class, they were talking with their friends about how frustrated they were that they couldn't, uh, that their dad wasn't letting them go to their lake house for spring break. It's like, I cannot relate to these students. I, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I taught a, a relative, a relatively, um, well, a Russell group uni. And, um, there was a lot of chat about skiing, um, <laughs> something that I have never done or ever been interested in or, like just that just just seemed like to me feels entirely foreign yeah and people would just be having casual conversations about skiing and i'd just be like cool also someone had a lacrosse thing at one point and i was like feels like people are making things yeah. up to walk in with and pretend <laughs> as a sports instrument um not instrument sports tool i don't know what you call it um <laughs> but, but um but yeah so it can feel a bit um uh for, but, but but yeah some people get more out of working at a Yes. And I, and so, I mean, like I've, I've mentioned before, you know, like teaching at the university was great and I had a lot more freedom, but the students, I couldn't quite connect with them as much um, Mm. because they all came from a, many of them came from a background that was just entirely foreign to me. But when I was teaching at the community college, while I, I was a lot more limited in what I could teach and how I could teach my students were just the best. Like I had so many um, non-traditional students, which is basically just refers to students who are not coming right out of high school, um, are either like going back to school. Like I had one woman who was um, an older woman and her husband had just retired, I believe. And so she was like, now's my opportunity. I have always wanted to go to college. So I'm going to go to school and get a degree in 
I don't know, speech pathology or something. And she was great. She was like just this lovely woman who was just so into her courses that she was taking. And I had lots of like, um, there was this one student that I had multiple semesters that I taught there. And she, I mean, she, you know, was struggling for a lot of, you know, like personal reasons, but she came to class every day and she like it just these students were just so they cared so much and they were just like I don't know I I think that teaching at a community college is really an awesome experience um even if just for the students because the administration was not great but the students were Mm -hmm. and they made it worth it and I will definitely treasure my time there because it those people were just absolutely awesome <laughs> which which makes it a, a sort of, i don't know an extra tragedy that that work um it like isn't so well isn't so well yes. remunerated um as um at, at those sort of uh, sort of more selective um institutions i mean to sort of bring this round back round as like a sort of a final hurrah for this episode um i think like we started to talk a little bit there about sort of like how that relation relationship works in terms of um different kind of uh how how institutions are perceived mm-hmm. um and their sort of like position within this kind of like um uh, un- unfortunate ranking sort of sort of system that has sort of grown yeah um we talked a bit about feedback we sort of talked a bit about how the money that comes in affects the money that goes out to people that are um uh, doing the teaching mm-hmm. and so I guess I, I guess it's worth um, finishing by by talking a little bit about like what the, the larger trends that this is maybe part of in terms of the kind of what in the UK we call marketization of university I don't know if it's a different term that's used but the sort of like businessification of universities um, which I know again you you, you talk about in in, in the mm-hmm. video you made um, yeah. what, what's that been like in the US? So I, the video that I did um, about adjuncting, I initially wanted it to be about this broader trend, but realized that was way too big um, and I needed to cut it down. But I was going to call it, my term, the fast foodification of universities. (laughs) Because the way I see it um, is, so educations have become a product in the US at least. And it sounds like also in the UK is the, so an education has become a thing that you purchase that you then use as a tool to do whatever it is that you want to do in the future. So it's like, I need a degree so that I can get this job and that's, that's what I'm going to do. And so you decide, you know, you do a cost benefit analysis of where you are going to purchase that education from. And In order to produce this product, universities have to do a couple of things. They have to standardize. Um, They have to, you know, make sure that their product is on par with all the other products that are being produced. And they also have to, because it is a product that is being produced by a business, the businesses are going to want to minimize costs everywhere they can and maximize profits everywhere they can. And so that's why even though we are seeing more and more adjunct faculty who are being paid very little, 
that's why tuition is still going up because mm. schools when they become businesses want to make profit <laughs> and they also uh want to maximize their customers and the way that they do that is by making their schools as like attractive to students as possible and so a lot of what that means is spending more money on facilities on you know these really like eye-catching programs and on like ed tech stuff uh but not buildings yeah not investing in Screens, faculty members like all the, all the, <laughs> the stuff all that the like things. looks great on a bro brochure yep um yeah that's de <laughs> there's definitely a lot of that in the uk where yeah suddenly um in fact so, so there's a university near me that um built a new new building which is is inside is a fantastic facility for the particular courses that use it i'm trying to be mm -hmm. sort of non-specific um and so like is is a functional building which is for um some arts subjects so e even better like those tend to be the ones where it's like here's our new science building and it's like some glistening monument yep. to modernity and then it's like here's our arts building and it's like a cottage and the roof's all yep. in but um but, but this is like a, a good arts building brilliant facilities inside but on the outside of it is this humongous screen um which was by a road and so it couldn't have video playing on it because it would be like illegal because it would be too distracting for cars um but then like a couple maybe two three four years maybe a little bit longer i'm not sure into them having that big screen there a bit of it broke and because it was such a like bespoke um thing this massive screen um it had to be this one company that could fix it and that company had gone out of business and so oh, there's no. now just this big um i mean presuming they've not fixed it in the last like bit of time that i've not walked past it or i've not looked up at it um it's now just this sort of monument to universities spending huge amounts of money on um sort of stuff that looks good in brochures rather than on people to teach their courses <laughs> yeah that's oh, yeah absolutely a, a perfect encapsulation of this entire issue but um and i think like you can see that in like loads of the things you've mm -hmm. talked about whether it's the having the set syllabus is that real mm -hmm. standardization yep. thing but so is having the set pay because that means it's like predictable for the university as a business um you know in the feedback stuff you were talking about where students are like um you know what would i mark this out of um 10 we, we have like a, a thing in the uk called the national student survey hmm. which is like every student does it um and then like all of the institutions and all the like down to the course level get ranked based on all kinds of different things so you can hmm. be the most happy like or the, the you know the the course the law course that is, get, has the most student satisfaction in the country or you can have like the happiest students or the like um and it really does make it this thing of like of being really utilitarian i guess mm -hmm. maybe yeah. it's the right word i'm not sure like it's really like functional the education mm -hmm. um, yes which again is one of those things where like you know it is sort of right and proper that students want to sort of get go away feeling like they've got something out of their mm -hmm. education but it sort of does go back to that more philosophical maybe question of like what is the purpose of an education yeah. is it that more holistic thing of growing and learning and being more critical about the world around you or is it i've read that if i get this piece of paper i might have an extra ten thousand yeah. pounds dollars a year based on if i didn't 
And that's one of those other things that like continues to be stratified because, you know, it's it's like the only people who can afford to have those more holistic kinds of degrees, like you get at a liberal arts college, are the people who can literally afford it. Um, and mm. so, you know, if if you come from a you know less wealthy family, like sorry, you just don't get to have this interesting like you have to go to school for a very like you said sort of utilitarian purpose you go to school to get a job and you know and that's why a lot of people sort of disparage more like humanities kind of uh degrees because they don't see them as useful that's why you know you go into stem you get an engineering degree or a you know science degree or you go to med school because that has a much more clear path to a job um, and so it's, it, it's a difficult question because I do think that there is value in having, you know, these, for lack of a better word, like training programs for jobs. Like, I think it is a good thing to have engineering courses that teach you how to be an engineer or mm. to have, you know, these like technical, uh, like certificates that you can get to say like, yes, I am a certified plumber. I am a certified electrician. I am a certified welder, etc. But I also think that education needs to be less of a product. It needs to be, I think that education is not just a means to an end. I think that education needs to be seen as an end in itself. And I don't, I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to, you know, change sort of the entire it, it is, way that education is seen, but that's. <sighs> definitely in, in, in the UK, the, the way that higher education is seen is increasingly just as the final bit of your education as well mm -hmm. it's no longer that you for a lot of people like I'm pretty sure that over 50% of young people now go to university mm -hmm. and that it is the case that um you know you get to the end of um I, I say this as someone who, who sort of did did ask some of these questions but you know you get to the end of um school and it is the the option of least resistance to a lot mm -hmm. of people is um going to university and yet we don't mm -hmm. treat it like it's the last bit of school by funding it like like in any way whether it's the design of it or whether it's the the way in which you know no one well some people do pay to go to school but most people have the option of of, of school not costing at least but um <laughs> yeah and we don't treat it like that in in any way i mean to bring it back to your fast food point i was just thinking there in terms of the different qualities of education have you seen the um what's it called the bear You've not uh, so yeah. so a, I would suggesting that watching the bear is a very good okay. TV program. I think it's on Disney Plus. Okay. Um, and that has you know the character in that used to is a chef that used to work at a like the best restaurant in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I can't I don't know exactly what food he makes. Um, and then he goes to work at a like his his this is episode one stuff. It's not spoilers. His his brother dies, so he goes to work at um the sandwich shop that his brother used to run. Um, and suddenly, you know, he has all the same skills, all the same expertise, but he's suddenly working in a tiny kitchen and they don't have very much money to run the, the rest the restaurant with. And um, everyone's knocking into each other. And suddenly, because he has to do everything rather than just the specific job, like everything's hectic. Um, and it reminded me so much of that, of like, if you place the same person with the same skills mm -hmm. in two different 
you know, if you if you pay them well and, and furnish them with being able to sort of sort their lives out and then then they are able to do a much better job than if you don't pay them anything and they have to rush between two different universities in one day and um they don't have enough time to plan anything and like they are not going to be able to deliver to the best of their ability and therefore student education is going to not not be where you would want it to be yes yeah it's Um, basically what it all um, comes down to is that this casualization or adjunctification is just bad for everybody it's bad for mm -hmm. the adjuncts it's bad for the students i guess it's good for the schools because they're making more money but it's bad for everybody else (laughs) yeah so so yeah so i mean which I suppose the 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 point to to end on then is that if if you are a student and you are having lessons cancelled, that um you know no no one that is striking wants to be doing that. Um, you know I'm sure they would all. You know I think we in in a conversation about the problems with um the academic job market, both of us have kept coming back to the reasons we really like teaching and like how yeah. amazing it is to be and like people want to be you know want to be doing that. Um, and you know have just been put in a position where they feel that that is their their only option is to go on strike and and you know and anyone who is listening that is presently on strike or, or thinking about it or has recently been um best of luck um from, from yes from from me from us uh yes. that, that maybe sounded patronizing but um, <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> but yeah um and i guess the final thing to say is thank you thank you so much zoe for of being being willing to come on and talk and um, yeah thank you if for people having are me. watching a go, go away and watch zoe's video but is there any, is there any how do, how do people find you on on the internet uh well i don't have a twitter anymore because you know reasons and uh so if you want to find me just look me up on youtube uh just look up zoe b and i will be there uh, yeah, I make video essays about a variety of things. A lot of it is education related. Um, a couple of my videos that I'm currently working on that should be out, maybe not when this when this podcast releases, but soon, uh, are going to be also related to education. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, be sure to check it out and like and subscribe and smash the buttons. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my chat with Zoe. I hope you found it as interesting and insightful as I did. As I mentioned partway through the show, if you want to check out further episodes of Induction, then there's no better way to do so than through my premium streaming service, Nebula. If you want to get exclusive early access to every single episode of the show, a full two weeks before they're available anywhere else, and support me to make them at the same time, then you can do so by heading to nebula.tv forward slash induction. Thanks for listening once again, and I'll see you in the next episode of Induction.